This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit allentempleamec.com slash donate. Thank you for listening. Our text came from 1 Samuel, the first chapter, and the reading was from the 9th through the 20th verses. But I want to highlight verses 12 through 13. And indulge me as I read that brief text one more time. Beginning at verse 12 in the first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. It says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. It is always very easy for people who don't really know you or understand you to launch false accusations at you. And and these persons have a way of leveraging their attacks at you, not only because they think they know about you, but also because what they think they know, you know, or don't know. And as such, they try to catch you by surprise. Y'all know what I'm talking about. For someone to catch you by surprise, it means that you have to be unaware of something or unaware of what that someone may be up to. Uh And if you're not aware of their intentions, if you are caught by surprise, you are sometimes what we say, caught sleeping at the wheel. If you are caught by surprise, it's because you are asleep. Mm. But if you are alert... And if you are aware of their schemes, then you're awake. Yes, sir. And in colloquial terms, it means you are woke. And so in the context of my conversation this week with Bernie and using this very almost obscure text as a backdrop, I want to preach a message that I've titled today quite simply, Woke, I Am. Woke, I Am. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we've now come to the preaching hour. Use now your manservant to speak a word that will edify your body and your people. Lord, we're not here to be entertained, and we're certainly not here to be given some fancy words that's going to allow us to say, well, that's a good preacher. No, Lord, we're here because we need to hear from you. So, Father, move away any of my own imperfections, and let your hearts of your people be opened up to the move and the word of the Spirit. For heaven knows, Lord, I need it also. So, Spirit of the living God, move now upon this preacher. Move now in this worship experience. Move now upon the hearts of your people and grant us all that we may need in this moment. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The late theologian, Theodore Derice Pendergrass, also known as Teddy Pendergrass, sang lead on a song called Wake Up Everybody as part of the R&B group called Harold Melvin and the 
blue notes. Yep, I know y'all, y'all are already dancing. Chill. <laughs> the song was written by John Whitehead, Gene McFadden, and Victor Carstaffen, and peaked at number 12 on the Billboard chart, Hot 100 chart, and the R&B chart at number one in the early 1970s. And um, the opening lyrics, of which I'm sure many of you are familiar, goes a little something like this. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more backward thinking, times for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There is so much hatred, war, and poverty. Oh. Now, I'm not going to go any further because my wife is already looking at me <laughs> sideways. <laughs> but the chorus, you know, goes, the world won't get no better if we just let it be. Na, 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 na. The world won't get no better. We got to change it. You and me. And of course, I love that signature of Teddy where, you know, Teddy always yells at you, wake up! Everybody! Wake up! You know, Teddy, all right, all right. But while the song targeted teachers and doctors and builders, it was essentially a call for all people to, yeah. to wake up and to, to engage and to make a difference, much like the African-American men of Westchester and their slogan, which says, we make a difference. It, it was a call for all of us to wake up. And, uh, you know, in this short song, which was released back in 1975, it was already a clarion call to be woke, yeah. meaning to become conscious and aware of the things that needed to be changed in society. It was about moving our thinking from being unconscious to now being conscious. That's what it means to be woke, and Teddy got it. Yeah. Teddy understood it. Now, now, more specifically, the term woke actually come from, from our young people. It, it started with them in the African-American community. Our young people were the one that started to use this idea of woke. And it was used to alert us to racial prejudice and discrimination or, or being, uh, 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 becoming aware of and actively attentive to the important things going on in society, especially issues of racial and social justice. Woke. But in more recent months, and certainly due in large part to that governor in Florida, Ron DeSantis, the term has been bastardized to mean being politically liberal in a way that is considered unreasonable or extreme, especially in matters of racial and social justice. Uh, for example, and according to Ron DeSantis, this is not a political message, but I want you to understand what I'm talking about. According to Ron DeSantis, woke, means to pose an existential threat to the United States of America and its historical traditions. Hence, his efforts to combat his limited knowledge of critical race theory, CRT, which, by the way, is not taught in any public middle or high school. For him, woke means to be overly concerned about things like global warming and atmospheric anomalies that we experience due to climate change. It's, for some reason, we're trying to bury our heads in the sand like ostriches as if we're not concerned about how the winter this year seemed like an extended spring. Something is different about our world and our society. And to pretend as if it's not happening is, is, is ludicrous to me. But, but for those who would say something about it, these folks would tell you that you, you, you're woke. Okay. Woke 
means to be a company, for example, that builds its portfolios and its business models around environmental, social, and governance issues like diversity, equity, and inclusion. If you make that a standard in your business, you are woke, according to these folks. And, but essentially, essentially, I believe in the mind of people like Governor Ron DeSantis and his ilk, woke means, and I mean this, to be a liberal, transgender-loving Democrat. Bottom line, whatever, whatever you want to hear or believe or however the noise is in the media, I think that's what they mean by it. You're a liberal, transgender-loving Democrat. That's woke. And everything that is wrong in their world is woke. But lest you be fooled and be distracted, in my humble opinion, and this is my opinion, woke the way I hear it from these folks, woke the way I hear it from Fox and their friends, Woke, the way I hear it, literally means the black agenda. That's all I hear, the black agenda. And the bottom line is, depending on who you talk to, whether conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat, Baby Boomer or Gen Z, Will Smith or Chris Rock, Tupac or Biggie, depending on who you talk to, woke may mean very different things. So to be clear, very clear, when I use the term woke, I'm referring specifically to the idea that I am aware of what you're up to. When I say woke, for me, it means I know what you're up to. I see you. I know what you're trying to do. For me, that's woke. So <laughs> because I'm aware of you, I'm not distracted by you, and I'm expecting you so I won't be caught by surprise I am woke. Yes, indeed, woke I am. Let's turn to the relevance of all of this in our very obscure text. For those who were not here last week and who may not be familiar with the story, let me give you a brief overview. There's this man called Elkanah, and he has two wives. One's named Penina, and the other's name is Hannah. He's got these two wives. Now, Penina, she actually is, is able to give birth, and she had children boys and girls. Hannah, on the other hand, was barren, according to the text. Now, because of these two wives, what you find happening is that Penina, because she's fertile and can give birth and all of that, she, she wears it as a badge of honor and she ridicules Hannah. And Hannah is really, really upset to the point of depression. And Hannah is very upset because in that culture, your inability as a woman to give birth to children is almost saying that you are useless. You've got no value. There is, you, you, you can't produce anything useful for a society. You might as well be gone. But Elkanah, her husband, would go out of his way to try to make sure that, you know, she gets the best piece of chicken at the dinner table. Read the text, <laughs> right? So, so he was trying to give her some special favors, but the fact of the matter is it wasn't enough for her because her heart was really, really broken. So one day she's praying, and she's praying earnestly to God after their meal, and she's out there and she's just doing this. She's really in the depths of her soul, but her lips are moving, but she, nobody could hear anything. And so the priest is at the church, the pastor is at the church, and he looks down the street and he sees Hannah, and he thinks she is drunk. That's the story in a nutshell. But the part of the story I really want to emphasize begins with verse 12, where it says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice 
was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and asked her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. No, not so, my lord, Hannah responded. Not so, my lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Can you see, Hannah? Misunderstood on the highest level. Well, here is what is completely clear in the text. Hannah was not drunk. It's clear. Hannah was not drunk. Whatever thoughts this priest may harbor in his mind about Hannah or however anyone may perceive her seemingly unusual behavior, Hannah was not drunk. Furthermore, to, to, to accuse and make the assumption that someone is drunk is to make the case that this person was not only affected by alcohol to the extent of them losing control of their faculties, but to also make the assumption that because this person is not operating the way you do, something has to be wrong with them. Well. In, in other words, because they don't walk like you do, they must be drunk. Because they don't talk the way you do, they must be drunk. Because they don't worship the way you do, they must be drunk. And because they don't think the way you do, they must be drunk. But Hannah was not drunk. Hannah was not intoxicated. Hannah was not inebriated. Hannah was very much in control of her faculties. Hannah knew her situation. Hannah knew the source from where her help would come. Hannah was woke. Even though the priest thought that he knew more about Hannah's spiritual condition, which very often pastors and preachers like to sometimes think we have more authority than other people. But let me be clear. Even though this priest thought he knew more about Hannah's situation and her spiritual con condition, she was clear in her rejection of his accusation when she said, Not so, my Lord. I am a woman who's deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer or MAGA Kool-Aid. A pause for effect. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Yeah. Hannah was woke. Now let's take it even a step further and contextualize this brief encounter for us today. African Americans and people of African descent, let's be clear, are not drunk. We're not intoxicated, and we neither are we inebriated. We're very much aware of who is for us and who is against us. In fact, I am personally quite clear in acknowledging that when we are unable to get into certain schools, it's not because we're not smart enough or intelligent enough. It's because we're being denied entry. That's it. Uh, 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 when we can't get mortgages from banks, it's not necessarily because we are unqualified, it's because we're being discriminated against. We're not fooled, we're not trying to pretend as if that's not the case. When we can't buy or rent an apartment in certain zip codes, it's not because we don't have the money, it's because we're being redlined. Yes, it's happening. When people of color are, are, are killed in the streets by those who swore to serve and to protect, it's not a figment of our imaginations. We see the video. But it's because black people are being shot. It's, that's what's happening. 
You're being shot. When we receive, a, and this is a little more closer to home, when, when we receive a different kind of care than others receive when we visit hospitals, it's not because we don't have medical insurance. We got insurance like everybody else. It's because we're not being treated properly for our pain. Yeah. Oh, black people, they got a higher threshold of pain. Are you kidding me? And when we say that our children don't know our true history, it's not because we don't know the truth and, and, and want to attempt to rewrite history or to make white people feel uncomfortable. It's because you're destroying and banning our books. I'm not making this up, church. <laughs> now, I could go on and on and give you example after example, but I'm talking about an experience that is very real to us, and it's not anything that we made up. It's like we're crying out to our society to make them aware of our very real ills and the real things that are going on in our communities. And like Hannah, they see our mouths moving. Well, mm -hmm. They see our marches and they see our protests. But, 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 but they don't, they can't, or even want to hear the deep longings in our hearts and in our souls. I'm yeah. talking to the church. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, let's be perfectly clear. And now I'm talking to the dominant culture. I'm not deluded about the reality of anything that I have just shared because, hear me clearly, I am aware of what you're up to. You see, and because I'm aware of you and because I'm not distracted by you and because I'm expecting you, I am woke. Indeed, woke I am. So what are we to make of all of this, Pastor? What's going on here? Well, like Hannah, Black folks are not drunk. Black folks are not distracted. Black folks are not inebriated. Black folks are woke. So what are we now to make of all of this? Well, there are three things that I've been kind of hinting at in, this, in the context of this message, if you haven't heard it already. And the things that I'm hinting at is what would lead us to how to be prepared for our adversary. For whether you believe it or not, whether you, whether you think you're living in an ivory palace, whatever that may be, trust me, there are people and there are there are folks that have an adversarial agenda where you and I are concerned. Whether you want to accept it, now you may have folks that are cool. We got allies. But believe you me, believe you me, not everyone who says, I'm with you, is with you. So the three things that I've been hinting at in this message that would lead one to be unprepared for their adversary, the first is being unaware of the reality of your enemy. In other words, not knowing who your enemy is or even being aware that they exist will keep you vulnerable, for you can't fight an enemy you do not know is there. So let's check out verse 9. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. Recall that I told you that Penina, Elkanah's other wife, that could bear children, often ridiculed Hannah for her barrenness. I told you that, right? Mm -hmm. So Penina was an adversary that Hannah could see. However, as Hannah was praying, she was unaware that she was being observed by the priest, Eli, who was sitting on his chair at the church. This leads me to ask a question. What do you do when you have an adversary that you're not aware of, 
Furthermore, what do you do when that adversary is a person who is in authority and charged with looking out for your best interest, like, say, the pastor or the police? Eli was the pastor. Yet, despite his role, he was, he, he was the one that made an assumption about Hannah, accusing her of being a disgrace and a drunk. Are you all following me? Stay with me. Right? Brothers and sisters, it's bad enough that we have to deal with people who openly persecute us, but it's an entirely different thing when you're not even aware that the people who you trust are coming for you. People who you think are in your corner when they're coming for you, guess what? You can't see them coming. It's not always the one who challenges you that's the problem. It's often the ones who you least expect. So... Going back to our great theologian, wake up, everybody. So not only are we unprepared for our adversary because we're unaware of them, but secondly, we can be unprepared for our adversary when we're being distracted. Verse 10, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Distractions in our lives come from both external sources, but also internal ones as well. External distractions include things like visual triggers, or social media, or text messaging, or music, or a a phone call. But but there are also the internal distractions, which I want to make you aware of. These are are internal distractions of things like hunger, and fatigue, and illness, worry, grief, and daydreaming. These kinds of distractions prevent us from maintaining our focus. So we can't concentrate on the really important things that's going on around us. Church, listen to me carefully. But the biggest problem with internal distractions is that they also prevent us from seeing our adversary coming. An example of what I mean is dog whistles. A dog whistle. A dog whistle occurs when your adversary uses coded language to to garner support from particular groups of people without seemingly provoking opposition. (laughs) The the, the concept is named after that ultrasonic whistle. Y'all know about it? When you blow it, you can't hear it, but dogs, they're like, dogs perk up. That's a dog whistle. It's audible to dogs, but not humans. I I just said something. I just said something. The dog whistle is audible to dogs, but not human beings. I'm just saying. Many of us in our community, we are so angry, especially at a lot of what we see in the media, that we have lost our focus in many ways. So our adversary uses that as a distraction to get to us. How many of you know that you can be so angry that you don't know that something is about to harm you? Because you are distracted. And by using dog whistles on issues like critical race theory, they're communicating specific things to their intended audiences, thereby distracting us. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, they're, 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 they are codifying legislation that have lasting impacts on all of our lives. And we didn't see it coming because we're worried about arguing about something that is not happening in the schools. Yeah. Distracted. We get so mad because we hear the word race and we go all in a tizzy. Meanwhile, they're like, oh, you're arguing about that. Meanwhile, over here, how many votes we have? Because we ain't in the room making those legislations. Brothers and sisters, wake up. Everybody. (laughs) Finally, we're distracted. 
not only are we unaware of our adversary, we're distracted, but finally, there is our adversary having a low expectation of us. Mm. Mm. This one's interesting. Verse 12 says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Mm. Eli had a very low expectation of Hannah, and we can understand why, because she couldn't have children, so why would he even think that there's anything she has to offer anybody? She can't produce anything for the com community, for the society, so she's got no value. I mean, you, you live in the projects, or, or you, 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 you walk with your pants hanging down, you can't possibly have anything of good value to our society. I'm just saying. We see people and we think we know their story. And so Eli has this very low expectation, and some of us, sometimes, we can harbor those same low expectations of ourselves. Now, if you notice, everything I'm talking about in the sermon is not about other people. I'm talking about what are you doing and how are these things affecting you? Yeah. Brothers and sisters, we need to preach a truth to our people, man. We got we to gotta wake up, right? Anna had been praying earnestly to God, and it seemed like it would never, ever happen for her. And quite frankly, some of you have been praying to God as well for him to do something in your lives. And you've been praying for so long and it hasn't yet happened that you've almost given up on God. I understand. I do. But the tragedy here is that your adversary knows that because you are now in a place of fatigue, you know, the, the scriptures tell us, you know, wait on the Lord. Though it tarry, wait for it. But some of us are just a little tired of waiting because we've been praying to God for a long time and, 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 and we don't see him coming. So people are telling us, huh, you are wasting your time. And then we start to believe. As people of African descent, we're all too familiar with waiting for justice and seeing nothing happen. And to be quite frank, the way things seem to be going right now in our society, <laughs> we've been waiting 400 years for any kind of relief. The way things are going, it looks like we might have to wait another 400 years. Doug, I don't think we're going to make it that long. I don't think we can hang around that long to see something change. But I'm just saying. But when the, when the dominant culture recognizes that we are, we are tired, it can cause them to use that to their advantage. But the point is, don't let the low expectation that others have of you cause you to adopt that same belief about yourself. Yeah. Wake up. Keep the faith. Yeah. Trusting that your redemption draws near. Yes, sir. So as I mentioned before, as I get ready to close, being woke, at least from my perspective, is being aware of what everyone else is up to. It's not allowing your adversaries to, to, to get the better of you because you're unaware of them or you are distracted or because you may have or harbor a low expectation of your own self. You need to stay alert and you need to stay woke. But no one, no one, Cyprian, no one, was more woke than Jesus. No one yeah. was more woke than Jesus. <laughs> and and if, you might, if you recall the night when Jesus was betrayed at the Last Supper, y'all remember that night? <laughs> you know, as Judas schemed to betray him, Judas kind of thought that Jesus was unaware of what, 
you know, was going to happen. And as Judas schemed to try to betray Jesus, Judas thought that Jesus was distracted. <laughs> and, and, and as Judas started to scheme, you know, Judas had kind of like a low expectation of Jesus's insight. Y'all hear the three things I talked about, right? Judas thought Jesus was unaware. Jude, Judas thought Jesus was distracted. Judas had a, a low expectation of Jesus's insight, but brothers and sisters, let's be clear. <laughs> when Jesus said in that upper room, one of you will betray me. And all the disciples were unaware because it is who? Who, Lord? Who? All the disciples were, were unaware who, who, who it was. Jesus knew because Jesus was woke. Yeah. <laughs> when Jesus said, well, the one who dips his hand with me in the bowl will betray me. <laughs> Jesus was not distracted. Yeah. Jesus was woke. Yeah. <laughs> and when Jesus said to Judas, hey, Judas, um, go do what you must do quickly. The text says, when Judas went away, it was night. Because every time you move away from the light, it gets dark. Uh, so, so, so Jesus says, go do what you must do quickly. You see, Jesus had a very clear expectation of what was yet to happen because Jesus was, and you got it, woke. woke. Jesus was woke. Jesus was aware of his adversary. Jesus was not distracted by his adversary. Jesus knew his adversary's low expectation of him, but Jesus did something that Hannah mm -mm -mm, did not do. <laughs> Jesus, you remember what Hannah did? She's like, no, sir, no, 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 preacher. I'm not drunk. I, I'm, I'm just a woman in distress. Jesus didn't do that. Watch Jesus' approach. And, and this is where the rubber meets the road for our community. Jesus didn't even correct Judas, his adversary. Jesus didn't even challenge Judas, his adversary. <laughs> this is why I love Jesus. He agreed with his adversary. To the point where Jesus says, go do what you must do quickly. Jesus agreed with his adversary. He did. Check the text. He agreed with his adversary. So, so too should you, my brothers and my sisters. So too should you. What do you mean, preacher? When it seems that your back's against the wall. And you feel like your adversary has you beat down. And the, that's the time to pray earnestly. And with your spiritual eyes, you're going to pray that God opens it up so that you can be able to discern the things that are not so obvious to everyone else. And that you may be aware of what people are up to in your lives. You see, when your back's against the wall and you're being pressured, brothers and sisters, that's the time to double down in prayer and say, God, show me what I cannot yet see. Because there's more that is for you than those that are against you. Lord, open my eyes. Let me not be so quick to defend myself. Let me not be so quick because once you start defending yourself, they got you. So you want to be able to be discerning and say, Lord, what's going on? Pray also that we as a community, that we may be to the reality of the devil's schemes and that those who may mean us harm, that, that, that we're not going to be distracted by them as we exercise wisdom to thwart their evil schemes. So, in closing, if Ron DeSantis calls you woke because you want the truth, just agree and say, woke I am. If they call you woke because of your faith, Ian, just agree and say, 
woke I am. If they call you woke because of your beliefs, just agree. Say, woke I am. If they call you woke because you choose a path that is not popular, just agree and say, woke I am. Don't fight it. Agree with it. Because you will pull away every ammunition that they have in their quiver. When you agree quickly with your adversary. Woke, I am. And when you agree with your adversary, <laughs> like Jesus did. When you agree with your adversary, watch their reaction. When the Lord himself eventually wakes them up. Amen. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved.